Yo, what's going on, ladies and gentlemen? Thank you guys so much for tuning in to another Frankie in the Forest podcast. Uh, this is the beginning of our podcast where we just wanted to shine a light on and thank a bunch of our supporters and sponsors. Uh, episode 22 is brought to you by One Oak Events, one-of-a-kind events, a entertainment production and event planning company specializes in weddings, mitzvahs, sweet 16s, corporate events, everything of that nature, start to finish. They are your one-stop shop hub for any kind of social or private event coming up. So if you're looking for something unique, something different, www.one, spelled out, one oak events.com that is www.oneoakevents.com check them out one oak events one of our main sponsors here uh next sponsor we want to give a shout out and shine a light on andrew james hair company andrew james hair company uh we got a little promo code enter Get fresh 20 at andrewjameshair.com. Andrewjameshair.com. Get fresh 20 is your promo code for 20% off online. Uh, they're our new preferred partner, sponsor, Andrew James. They got three separate pomades, all right? They got a matte pomade, a keep it original pomade, and a strong pomade. Something super cool about all these pomades are all uh, created organically by the homie Andrew James. Um, he came up with the different ingredients and all that stuff. And also what's cool is he has a beard oil, which is not just a beard oil, but a regular oil and a tattoo oil. So you got a beard and a tattoo oil all in one. Check them out, man. Some really, really cool products. I love the um, branding on it. I love the labels. I love all that stuff on it. Super cool. Great to have a uh, official new sponsor um, with the hair products because I use hair products every single weekend. Uh, <clears throat> next up, we got Babe Glaze, baby. Organic, vegan, and cruelty-free. Cruelty-free. Homemade and handmade with love in the USA. Babe Glaze is super dope tanning lotion. Um if you women out there, I think there's three different ones. You got to shake it. They have, uh, they're super um, small bottles, but they, all you need is a little bit to spread it everywhere. So uh, it's all organic, super, super cool. Um, Marissa, who is the creator, owner, and all of that, uh, has a great, great head on her shoulders. She was actually on the podcast not too long ago, and uh, this is super cool uh tanning lotion but it's a glaze that is um they have a gold they have a bronze and if you're looking for something a little different we got that big glaze in the building baby uh we also got elite cuisine if you're looking for meal prepping all or custom meal prep for you uh delivered to your home uh elite cuisine is your place to be so check them out there uh perez 20 Perez20 is your promo code for that. Uh, Elite Cuisine. Check them out. EliteCuisine.com, I believe. EliteCuisine.com. 
And our last but not least sponsor is Dead Serious MMA. Check them out. Dead Serious MMA, one of the uh, most live, dopest MMA promotions out here. Uh, they have over 10 events a year or 14 events a year. Uh, number one amateur show around. Uh, they sponsor, they listen, and they support Frankie and the Four Apps podcast. So check them out. All right, so today on today's podcast, man, we had a super, super dope conversation with a very cool individual, uh, Christoph. He is something special, people. Today, uh, I haven't gotten emotionally invested in any of my podcasts yet. I did as far as, you know, creating good material and having a good conversation. But as far as like emotionally and like something that hit home today was something real with Chris. Um, Chris is handicapped. He has a very rare disease, which you guys will will hear very, very soon. Um, And he's like the happiest, more like happy-go-lucky dude you'll ever meet. And in a world that we live in today that everybody's so worried about the way they look and the social media likes and who's commenting (coughs) and what clothes that they're wearing. And it's just such a judgmental world that we need to be grateful for everything that we have in front of us. We need to be grateful for breathing, blinking, being able to see, being able to walk, being able to go to work, being able to have a fucking headache, you know, being grateful for these small little things that, you know, you're like, one day, it could all be gone. You can be a, 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 a student athlete. Wake up the next day and be blind. You know, uh, you can be an, uh, a super wealthy financial Wall Street guy and wake up one day and you're paralyzed. You know, uh, maybe these are a little dramatic, but it, it could happen. And it happened to Chris, an individual who lived a normal lifestyle, went through two, not one, two heart transplants is now in a wheelchair at 36 years old and is one of the most happiest, fun-loving humans you'll ever meet. So, ladies and gentlemen, I hope you enjoy episode 21. Yeah, you are now tuned in to Frankie and the 4 Fs. Come on. The only podcast giving you the latest news on famous people fighting females and fear is Frankie in the four F's. Frankie in the four F's. Frankie in the four F's. You're never gonna forget. Never forget. Frankie in the four F's. Uh, uh. This here we go. There's only one place. And this is the show. Frankie in the four F's today is going to be super, super special. As I always say, it's always special. It's always creative. It's always cool. And shout out to everybody on IGTV right now. It's the first time that we're doing some kind of video broadcasting. Uh, so we're going to check it out. Hopefully you guys are enjoying it at home. Uh, I know it looks kind of crazy right now, but we're going to get into the story. So I apologize for the delay. 
I apologize that I haven't been active. Things have been crazy. Things have been nuts and all in a positive way uh, with the new company, the new business. I will have a podcast out about all that that is happening uh, thus far this year and what's popping off in 2020. Uh, so make sure you guys stay tuned, teamfrankieperez.com for all your podcast updates. Check out my Instagram at teamfrankieperez. Uh, we are coming strong. I have a bunch of new material coming to you guys very, very shortly. We officially have an office. So, uh, the video recordings enough said enough done. I'm not talking about it no more. It's getting done this week. Done, done and done. Um, that being said, we are in Norwood, New Jersey. Who the hell knows where Norwood, New Jersey is, (laughs) but today, uh, we have a very, very special, special individual. So somebody who I met recently through um, events, being at Beach Bar, somebody who I've seen on social media uh, through a mutual friend of ours, um, somebody who I did not know the story, but uh, if you guys saw him on social media, you're like, oh, well, it's just you know a guy in a wheelchair, a, a handicap. You don't know what he has or you don't know his story. Um, but let me tell you about, uh, this special individual, not just being a positive, motivating human being, but also an author, um, incredible dancer and, uh, (laughs) the life, the life of the party. So I met this dude, I met you maybe twice, two, three times before we actually like had a conversation at beach bar that, that last time. Yeah. Yeah, right? Like quick, in passing. Yeah. Um, so I met him at Beach Bar through a mutual friend, uh, Crystal Percussion and DJ Reese. And I just thought it was a friend. No big deal, no nothing. And then uh, we actually hit it off one one Sunday afternoon at Beach Bar. Got a little rowdy, got a little crazy. Christoph <laughs> uh, went out and took uh, advantage of a, of a circle. And uh, after that, man, I was like, dude, I, we need to follow each other. We need to be friends. We need to keep this positivity going around. So ladies and gentlemen, the author of one man, three hearts, nine lives. I give you my friend, Christoph, man. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. Listen, I'm honored to be doing this with you. Yeah, dude. No, thank you. I'm, I'm honored to have you on here and to letting us into your home and being open and telling us your story. Cause I'm sure, you know, I don't know your story and I'm sure you've been doing, uh, you know, in telling your story for many years and you wrote a book and there's a lot that we got to catch up on and actually, you know, tell our fans because, you know, any publicity is good publicity, right? So, yeah, yeah. Um, like I told you before, any chance that I get to share my story, I'm completely grateful for. Right. So, yeah. Right. So, have you always lived in Norwood area or? Yeah. I mean, literally my whole life. I'm 36 now. We moved here when I was two. Oh, wow. So In this specific house? Yes. Oh, wow. Yeah. Well, on this property, we actually renovated and rebuilt the house about 10, 11 years ago. Okay. But yeah, other than that, my whole life been here. Right. I went to school here and then went to Bergen Catholic for high school. But aside from like three years away for college... It's been here. Wow. Yeah. That's pretty cool, man. So you see this whole property like develop. Oh, yeah. You know what I mean? Absolutely. Absolutely. And even just the community around, like, you know, everyone here is very close, you know, sometimes a little too close. People get in your business. (laughs) But I don't know. It's nice because especially with what I've been through to have like a community behind you that's 
everyone's really supportive and helpful and like we come together when like we need help um that's always been very important for me right i i love norwood i love it awesome awesome so um i I don't know if you want to give everybody a little bit of an intro on you who you are where you come from where you reside your family and then we're i want to get into this little story about you yeah well so my mother's actually jamaican she was born and raised in jamaica um became a physician in the west indies and then moved here to continue her career as a doctor and then my dad he is haitian but he was born uh raised in france he lived there he came here for school worked for the united nations for about 15 years and then he moved down to florida to get into real estate Mm. Okay. Um, so yeah very interesting dynamic Jamaican but. and Haitian, bro, and you a light skinned brother. What's up yeah, with that, bro? Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> but growing up in Norwood, you didn't really see many Caribbean folk in the area. So I thought I was white till I was about 12, 13 years old. <laughs> Talk about identity crisis. Uh, but yeah, other than that, like very Caribbean household, lots of good Caribbean food. Uh, Caribbean music, and that's where I got my rhythm from. You know? Got you. And uh, yeah, I have um, five. There are five of us siblings total. There's four boys, one girl. Um, my baby brother, he's the youngest of the bunch. He just turned 21. Oh, okay. And uh, my oldest brother, he is 40. Gotcha. So gotcha. there's like a pretty big gap between us but we're all very close right right. so it's cool there's four of us too we're we're four so are you like uh or there's five of you five of us. five of you and i'm the second oh okay second in command there yeah all right so are you always are you like the family like class clown the the party animal the guy that they always go to as like all right chris do your thing so we can all have fun i would say growing up i was definitely like the undercover troublemaker right because everybody saw me as the saint, as like the good guy, but I was actually the ringleader of all the crazy <laughs> stuff going down. Um, but as we've grown up, I've definitely taken on more of a role of like the responsible one and like the one that people in my family can come to and talk to, like unload their stuff on and just like come for guidance and help. Mm-hmm. And, uh, I mean, that's part of the reason why I got into telling my story because I just, I like to be that for a lot of people, like a shoulder or an ear, you know, uh, it's just something I'm good at. Right. Like being supportive. Right. So were you always like growing up, were you always like an active kid? You played sports and. Yeah, but I got sick at such an early age. Right. Um, I got sick at the age of six. I collapsed in my home and that led to like a series of problems, which I discuss in the book. And even though I led a pretty normal lifestyle, well, normal, so to speak, but I was able to play sports, but not competitively. Mm-hmm. So although I played sport, like sports for fun, like basketball, soccer, and stuff like that with my siblings and friends, I was never like on a team or part of a school sport, which was hard, you know, growing up and 
not being able to like play baseball or you know any kind of sport like with my friends in that setting right right um but other than that everything else i pretty much did like a typical kid right so six uh, six years old is when all this started to develop yeah six years old okay so we're gonna get in in a little bit more depth so uh ladies and gentlemen uh that aren't on igtv so chris has been in a wheelchair for how many years now it's only been two years two years yeah okay so what's crazy is if you meet chris you see how happy and positive it's a it's a little different for somebody who's been in a wheelchair their whole life to chris being able to be on both sides of this i know we just spoke about it off off air before but i think it's pretty admirable and incredible how you are because you've lived on both sides of this and you're developing and you still be able to be a happy motivated and still getting shit done every single day you know what i'm saying so yeah listen i do my best i really do right but i have to say it was tough it was rough that transition i got sick when i was six years old and so much of what i dealt with was internal and for some reason that was never as bad as like my physical body like deteriorating on the outside Mm -hmm. those limitations and having to like rely on people and depend on people and not be able to do things for myself it really crushed my self-esteem and i became very insecure and withdrawn and it just it really really affected me deeply but being around you know such a supportive family great friends that never treated me any differently and always were there kind of like lending a helping hand and just making me feel like chris nothing has changed you're still the man you know like those people around me really boosted my ego my confidence and made me realize that just because I'm in a wheelchair or limited, like, it doesn't make me any less of Kristoff, you know? Right. So, so. Let's, let's go through the timeline a little bit. So six years old, you said you collapsed, okay? And, and what developed or what started to develop then? That's when doctors discovered that there was an issue with my heart. I was sent to the um, NIH in Maryland. I had a pacemaker implanted and... That pacemaker lasted me about 10 years. My body went through puberty and my heart couldn't keep up. And I was recommended for my first heart transplant. Wow. So at 16? 16. Your first heart. Wow. Yeah. Now, now first one. You know, <laughs> we're going to get to the other ones. but So how did that, you know, 16 years old, you're still a young kid. You're still, you know still developing mentally and physically right so like how did that hit you i actually told my mom i would rather die than have someone else's heart put in me wow i could not wrap my head around the whole process even going to the appointment and them talking about how they would have to do the surgery i was like there's no way i'm gonna go through with that Mm -hmm. you couldn't pay me to what happened is i started to get so sick you don't realize what you're capable or like how much your mind will change when you're in that much pain. Mm-hmm. I was practically begging for a transplant at that point. Right. Um, I, I felt so horrible, but 
I remember like going online and doing research about transplants, seeing pictures and just being terrified of the whole process. Oh, I couldn't imagine. Yeah. I couldn't imagine. So what was development, like what, what was wrong with your heart? Was it too small for your body, too big, or was there a disease? It was actually enlarged. Oh, okay. Um, and it was just so weak that even walking in school, I would get so short of breath. I would get like really fatigued. I was always sleeping. The heart was just so weak that it couldn't keep up with like, you know, the changes of my body at all. Right. Right. Yeah. I was hospitalized a lot those years and it wasn't until I had the transplant that I realized just how sick I was. So you were 16. Is that when you got your first heart transplant or did you have to wait on a list? I was on a list. Okay. Yeah. And it was a miraculous amount of time because I only waited five days. Oh, wow. Yeah. Wow. So this was like, like a John Q story. Or un- yeah. Unheard of. Wow. So okay. five days. So you had your transplant and what was like, what was the recovery through something like that could do? Cause that's like, that's they, serious. They say typically it's about five to six months Okay. for you to like get through the acute stage of recovery. Um, I definitely remember those five to six months being the roughest in terms of like getting back my physical strength and getting used to the medications, the side effects, you're going in for biopsies at least twice a week to like make sure that the body's not rejecting the heart. It's a lot involved. You can't get any infection or be around any kind of germs whatsoever because you're immunocompromised and you know you got to wear masks when you go out in public. It's it's a very hard recovery process. Wow. Yeah. And, and it took you six months to be able to yeah. get back in normal society and stuff? Yeah. Okay. All right. So you were 16 years old, dude. Just had a heart transplant. You know? How did, uh, a- after you get back six months, you're back with your friends, you're back in school, you're living your life, and then, like, what was the next obstacle coming through that? I think just getting back into a regular lifestyle... And getting back to school because I was just about to go into college. And so that phase, like right before where I needed to take my SATs and submit applications, I was dealing with this major surgery, but I still wanted to like stay on track with school and not get left behind a year or anything. So I had to work extra hard to make up the time that I missed and still be on track to like get into a good school and all that stuff. Right, right, right. Yeah. That's pretty wild, man. And I, and I feel like you're it's a special thing, but also a crazy thing your mom being a doctor and all this stuff, right? So Yeah, I mean there is no hesitation when I say she is the reason I'm alive. Right. So many times in my life that her quick thinking in a situation where it was like do or die literally she was the one that like got shit done right 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 i think that's pretty pretty crazy you know somebody like you who has you know this this mother who's in a world-renowned doctor and you get you know all these issues and she's just like she already nitpicking knows what's going on you know to a, a person that if this happened to with a normal mother nine to five or five parents whatever they're just like 
I don't know. He yeah. has heart issues. You know what I'm saying? So, I mean, yeah. that's, that's pretty special right there, I think. Yeah. Absolutely. Or like calling 911 and knowing what to do in just those few minutes while we wait. Right. It, it's crazy. I'm definitely, I'm here because of her. Wow. Wow. So, 16, you go back uh, to normal life. You get through it. First heart transplant, okay, and uh, so did the did the, your disease start then, or was it until the next heart transplant when things started to escalate? Actually, my second heart transplant wasn't related to my disease at all, and again, that's something I talk about in the book. I uh, I had four good years with my first transplant, okay, and then I went into rejection. And ended up spending eight months in the ICU, this time around waiting for the second heart. It wasn't until I was like 27, 28 that I finally was diagnosed with my um, myopathy. And they traced that all the way back to my heart condition when I was six. And they realized that all of that, with the exception of the second transplant, was a cause of the disease. Huh. Wow. And what yeah. what is the name of your disease? Myofibrillar myopathy. It's a mouthful. Yeah. 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 And it's so rare that most people have never heard of it. A lot of doctors, when I go to hospitals, have never heard of it. Um, and that, in and of itself, can be pretty scary because you look to doctors for answers, right? And when a doctor looks at you and they're like, I don't know what to do with you, that can be a little little terrifying yeah yeah i mean that's pretty wild i mean you you when you get sick right you go to the doctors for answers and when you're sitting there feeling like shit you got one heart that already failed on you in four years and now you just put in another heart and they're saying yo dude like we don't got any answers what goes to your head then it's funny because again with someone like my mom around she just always made me feel like we were going to figure it out. Right. That there was going to be a plan of some sort or we were going to get through it. And when the doctors told me that they had no idea what the treatment plan was for this condition or that there was no cure or no way to stop it or slow it down was the first time that I really kind of felt lost. And I just thought, wow, is this this where it ends like is this where my lives are up and i'm just now faced with something that i can't beat Mm -hmm. and i really had a lot of doubt and just frustration and anger and yet that was over 10 years ago that i heard that news and it just goes to show you that you know sometimes the doctors aren't always right and it really, at the end of it, it comes down to you, your mental attitude, and how much you're willing to fight. Mm-hmm. You know? Mm-hmm. Wow, man. This is, uh, <laughs> this is wild. Yeah. So, um, all right, so you have your second heart transplant, right? And then you get diagnosed with your disease. Now, exactly what does your disease uh, attack? Like, what does it entail? So it attacks various muscle groups in my body. Um, The heart is a muscle, so that was the first to be attacked when I was six years old. 
then it wasn't until my late 20s that I started to notice the deterioration in like my leg muscles, my arms, my hands. Um, so slowly, things started to go. I would say my legs were the first to start to go. Mm-hmm. And I was walking with braces, then I moved up to a walker, and then finally two years ago I had to give in to the wheelchair, reluctantly. I did not want to end up in a wheelchair. Even like the walker, I tried to make it stylish. <laughs> I got like a black one, I'm like, oh, I can work with this. And the wheelchair, I was like, oh man. But, as you can see, I make it work now. Yeah, bro. Uh, Get some chromes for it. Yeah. You know what I mean? <laughs> and what I need on here is like a, a speaker or something. Yeah, bro. We'll get a little Bluetooth <laughs> on there. What's up, bro? Yeah. <laughs> uh, then my arms, they started to get weaker. So then things like feeding myself, grooming, that became an issue. And that just made me take a hit to my self-esteem. I'm like, you know, I always pride myself on looking good and like taking care of myself. And so when I started to get to a stage where I couldn't do it on my own, it was very, very frustrating. Right. Um, but then once I got to the stage of accepting help and realizing like I either have a choice that I can resist the help and just look like a hot mess all the time. Or I could actually, you know, take advantage of someone being in my life that's going to help me do the things I need to do and kind of turn it around and remain, you know, fresh and take care of myself and look good. Mm-hmm. Um, that was a pivotal turning point for me. And, you know, I'm grateful that I could be in a place now where you know, I just accept my life for what it is. Right, right. Because I think that's one of the hardest things is for people to, like, accept their circumstances and just be like, all right, this is what it is. Now, how am I going to handle it? Yeah. Yeah, yeah I mean, that, I feel like that's a, a, a huge part in all of this, you know? I feel like that's the biggest part. Yeah, you're sick, and, you know, uh, do we know if you're going to get better one day or not or whatever it might be, but... I feel like you just have to work with the cars that you're dealt right now and play with them, you know, and and, yeah. and and just go through the days, you know. I mean, from what we see on Instagram, from what I see when I'm around you in public, you know, I mean, it's only been like two or three times. But the stuff that's out there that I've been able to witness, it's, you know, people love you, man. And like, thank you. You know, I feel loved. And, you know, that's a big part of it. Yeah. Like I really, really do feel loved. I can't I can't say there was ever a time in my love life that I did not feel loved. Right. Um and you know But it's still cool to feel that. Knowing that you have that love, but still you come home and you know, that's also the battle too when you're alone, you know, and yeah, you know, oh yeah. You have a full time aid, right? And which is great. And Mike's the Mike, right? Yep. Yeah, Mike, dude, he's the man. Uh, even though you crack on him with the whole popcorn thing, I mean, he's the man. But, you know, having that aid is great. But still, being able to, you know, you were at one point being able to walk out of your house at any point in time, go grab a sandwich, go meet up with friends, and now it's more of a, all right, Mike, let's 
you know, round it up. Let's get out there. You know what I mean? It's more of a debacle. But you keep that positivity. You keep it moving. You know what I mean? Yeah. You'd be surprised the things that you go through in a day that you take for granted. I'm telling you, I, there was, I was always hyper-focused on the small things, such little trivial things now that I would give anything to have some of those things back. Right. You know, I miss driving so much. Like you said, you know, just being able that freedom of getting up, hopping in my car and just going for a drive, listening to some music. And I can't do that now without calling Mike, having him sit me up, transfer me to the wheelchair, help me put on my sneakers, lift me into the car, like help me with my seatbelt. It it's a lot. All right. It's a lot, you know, and even now I consciously like when I started to like really have difficulty and I was, you know, still walking but like barely, I told myself to like really taking what it felt like to stand up feel my feet hit the floor like go through the motion of walking and appreciate it because i knew i didn't have much more of that left in me and so now when i think i can still remember what it feels like to walk and i'm just it's crazy you go through stuff like this and you start to really take everything in you know for what it is and what a blessing all those little things are. Right, right. I couldn't imagine, man. And and I don't know what the percentage is for, you know, humans out there that could go through that and be okay with it. Um, I personally don't know if I would be okay with it, you know. Uh, that's something that you would have to go through and figure out because not everybody is as strong-minded as you and kind of, you know, and has the same support system as you. Um so, I mean, I think that's, it's, it's still crazy to me, you know, um, but in your world, it's normal. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. But you'd be surprised, you know, the strength that's inside you when you're really pushed. Right. I think the majority of people, they don't know their true potential until they're faced with no other option, essentially. Right. You know, I'm telling I think people are a lot stronger than they give themselves credit for. It's just a matter of finding that within yourself and really, like, running with it. Right. You know, because you have one of two options. You can either give up or you can just make up your mind, like, I'm not going to let this take me down. Uh-huh. You know, that's just how I look at it. Wow. That's special, dude. So, all right. So, you get, you find out what's really going on, yeah. you know. Uh, you have your second heart transplant, and then what happens next? Well, at that time, I was going through so many different issues in my life. My parents' marriage had gone to shit. You know, uh, they were headed for divorce. There was a big family secret that came out, and it just tore us all apart. I got heavy into prescription drugs because I had been practically on narcotics since I was six years old. So now I'm 27. I'm snorting pills, getting them off the streets. I'm having a sexual identity crisis. I don't know how to tell anybody in my family that 
I'm bisexual, that I like guys, like, so I'm living with this, like, double life, and just getting the news that this disease was now what I was going to be living with, I just, I went into a really, really dark place, and, um, it was hard to come out of that, I, I'll be honest, I nearly overdosed down in Miami, I went to respiratory failure, and I woke up with this trach, and I didn't know where my life was going to go from there. Right. I had no idea. I'm just like, here I am again, laying in hospital with a trach, I'm connected to this machine, and this is it for me. Like, where do you go from here? Right. But once again, I went through my process of being upset, mad, sad. I cried about it. And I woke up one day and I was like, you know what? I am going to fight this. I'm going to get up and I'm going to give it my all once again. And I'm not going to just lay here and just go out like that. I'm not doing it. I've been through too much of my life. I still have it in me to like, you know what? Let me let me make this thing look fresh. <laughs> Fair enough, bro. I mean, that's yeah. so. That was you feel like the lowest point in your life at that point. Without a question, yeah, yeah, yeah. And you know, it was a complete buildup. I mean, bro, you you definitely lived a life to where. You've been fighting for yours since you were six years old, you know, and yeah. then you go through this family turmoil. Now you're pissed off at everybody, you know, and then you're pissed off at everybody because you can't personally come out of your own closet and figure out what you, you know, speak your own mind. Yeah. And you're doing all this drugs, you're partying in Miami, which uh, Miami takes everybody's soul, good and a bad way, okay? And then you wake up with this trach where you have to get it cleaned out every three months. Yeah, I have to have the whole thing switched every three months. Right, right. Yeah. I learned that from your Instagram. See that? Yeah. See that? I listen, bro. And uh, and then Mike is just here to give me my meds. That's, oh, okay. That's what's happening. It's meds time. Yeah. So, so part of the whole thing with my transplant, um, I have to take my meds 9 a.m., 9 p.m. on the dot. And they're like very strict about that. Because if there's any delay in the actual medication time, it can cause the heart to reject. Wow. Yeah. So, so you, you're on a lot of meds. Yeah. Yeah. It's about 15 pills twice a day. Wow. Yeah. 15 pills twice a day. For how many years have you been doing this? It's over 15 years. <laughs> yeah. Wow. Thank you. Oh, and some applesauce. All right, it ain't so bad. So, yeah, ladies and gentlemen, I mean, listen, there's a whole lot more to this that we're getting to, but I have to say, uh, you know, listening to this story thus far is, is pretty wild. You know, it's being grateful for the little things, getting in a car, wiping your ass, um, the smallest little things of, you know, being able to just, slick your hair back with your hand um 
little things that you would have never thought of not being able to do one day. You know, being able to live a normal life as a kid running around playing soccer, football, baseball, hide and go seek with your friends, having dinner with your family, arguing to one day having an issue doing all of those things and completely going a complete 180, you know, uh, it's pretty wild to me. Um, I'm sure everybody else out there is like, what the hell is going on out there? But, um, so where did the whole third heart, uh, transplant come or what, where is there, uh, an acronym for this three um, hearts? Yeah. So, the reason why I say three hearts is because I was born with my original heart and then two transplants after. Gotcha. Um, when I was waiting for the second heart, my kidneys failed. So I got a kidney transplant after being on dialysis for two and a half years. Um, done. See? For meds. Oh, I got you. You want me to stop? Yes, please. Thank you. You're welcome. Um... So after the kidney transplant, my kidney lasted about 11 years. Okay. And then that kidney failed about a year and a half ago, going on two years in January. So I've been back on dialysis for another two years. Hmm. Yep. So you, you're you on dialysis. Um, I've been able to witness this once before with my grandmother. It's... It's very tough. It's long. It's uh, beats you up. Uh, how many times a week or months or uh, does dialysis happen? Um, it's three times a week, Monday, right. Wednesday, Friday. I'm there from about 10 a.m. to 2.30 p.m. And it's really like a part-time job. Right. Yeah. And for if you want to give the description of what dialysis is for the, for the people at home that don't know... Um, um, in the simplest terms, your kidney is your body's filtration system. So it removes all the toxins, um, all the fluid from your body. So when your kidney doesn't work, the dialysis is like an external kidney. Mm -hmm. Your blood is drained through the machine and it removes all those toxins and any fluid. And then after the machine cleans the blood it's returned back into your body. Yeah, it's pretty wild. Yeah. And and being that you have this disease, the disease attacks your kidneys as well? No. Again, the kidney issue was just a result of, like, my organs shutting down while waiting for the second heart. Because uh. I was in there for seven months. Seven months and then a month after I got the, the heart. So right. in the ICU, waiting that long you really come close to death. So my kidneys completely shut down and they just wouldn't pick back up after the transplant. Right. So um, if I'm not wrong, you're waiting for another kidney right now, right? Yep. Yeah. How long have you been on the list so far? About two years. Oh, wow. Okay. So, I mean, theoretically, I should be getting close. Mm-hmm. But you never know. I mean, my cousin's been waiting for going on 10 years now for a kidney. So No way. Yeah. Wow. 
Really, so, you just never know how it goes. So what it what exactly happens? You you know you need a kidney, you get on this list, and is it just first come, first serve or Um, to be honest, I don't know enough about it to speak on it. Right. Um, I do know that the time does have something to do with it. Your blood type has something to do with it. Like there's a lot of different factors that go into it. Uh-huh. Um but how your spot is determined, I'm not sure. Gotcha. I think people that get, you know, very sick, they sometimes get bumped up a little bit. But it's very it's a very complex system. And I'm sure it depends on where that kidney's coming from. Yeah. Right. Like the state that you're listed in, all that plays into it. That's pretty so, wild. Yeah. That's pretty wild. But um if you have because people can live with one kidney. Uh-huh. So it's one of the organs that can be donated by a live donor. So let's say somebody out there wanted to donate to me, for example, and our blood types match, they would go for further testing, and then, you know, potentially somebody could donate one of their kidneys to me. Gotcha. Yeah. All right. So, so I've you- had several family members be tested, and but uh, we have not found a match yet. Oh, what, what kind of blood type are you? Oh, negative. Oh, negative. Yeah. Is that like a, a rare, not a rare, but like not a popular blood type or is that a popular blood type? Um, well, it's popular in the sense that O can donate to any other um, blood types, mm-hmm. but O can only receive from another O. Uh. So that's what makes it difficult for me. Okay. And I talk about this in the book, um, which you'll have to read to find out, but I was a perfect match with somebody. Um, and it fell through for a crazy reason. Uh, but it was crazy because I found a perfect match, which is one of the rarest things. Right. We're going to get to the book. Yeah. But which is this was something cool that I wanted to touch and I wasn't sure if you wanted to touch. So if anybody out there that's O negative and is feeling generous and wants to donate to my boy Chris. Listen, give me your kidney. You know, you know? No, we're not asking for much. <laughs> you, know? <laughs> you can live with one, yeah. is all we're saying. What? You know? Um, so anybody out there, you know, slide in my DMs, email me, Frankie.o.perez with two Zs at Gmail. Um, if you guys are feeling grateful, it is the holiday season. <laughs> you know? No, but honestly, it's... It's crazy because as difficult as dialysis is, I, you know, I've had people that have offered to be tested and I've told them no, you know. I just, uh, I'm aware of like what kind of a difficult decision that is. What that's, it's an extraordinary gift. And uh, I always tell people not to take it lightly. Really think about it. Really think about what you're committing to. Mm-hmm. You know, it's important. Even when you're being tested, they put you through a psychological test to make sure that you really, that you've really gone through all the options. Um, so I think it's important for people to really don't just say, "Listen, I, I want to donate." Like, do some research, read into it, make sure all your questions are answered, and then. If you still want to give me your kidney, I'll, I'll take it. <laughs> that's pretty, yeah, that, and that's a great answer, and that's a, a a great way to put it, you know, because a lot of people out there be like, yo, hook me up, let's yeah, do this, you know, yeah. but it, it is true because there is no turning back, man. I mean, that's it. you know, uh, who's to say what 
something may go down. Who's to say your one kidney was damaged and they took the good one and you know now yeah, you're on dialysis, yeah. you know, three times a week, you know, whatever. What if you donate your kidney now and then like years down the line your child needs a kidney. Right. That you could have given to them and then you know, it's it's a big decision to think about. Right. And I respect everybody's choices. Even people that don't want to be organ donors. I respect that. Listen, you know, that's why we're all entitled to our own viewpoints and opinions. Yeah. Gotta yeah. respect each other for that. I'm an organ donor. So oh, I can't. well, that's a beautiful thing. Yeah. And uh, that, I feel like that's a, a big argument, conversation, depending on who you're talking to. But I said, man, once I'm gone, I'm gone. You can do it. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Once I'm gone, I'm gone. So you can do whatever you want. You know what I mean? Make faces, uh, chemistry projects, whatever you want to do. You want to save some lives, I'm here. Yeah. You know? But um, all right, man. So like, let's find. I want to get into this book. Um, when I first met you, I didn't know you wrote a book. Crystal is the one that told me you wrote a book. And um, one man, three hearts, nine lives. How did you come up with that title? And how did you come up with you wanting to write a story? Well, I came up with the title because when I was going through so many of my different medical issues when I was about 16, I saw a liver specialist, and he could not believe that everything I had been through, I just managed to bounce back sometime. And he actually said to me, what are you, a cat with nine lives? <laughs> and that always stuck with me. Um, so I wanted the title to be clever and witty and the nine lives was there. And then once I thought about all the transplants I had, I started to think of a play on numbers. And that's how I came up essentially with one man, three hearts, nine lives. Right. It's catchy. Yeah. I mean, I like it. Um, Thank you. It's your Instagram, you know, at one man underscore three hearts, right? Yeah. So if you guys want to know more about Chris's uh, story and follow him, he's always posting. He's always on his story. Um, And, and I mean, follow him on there, check him out. Um, So is this more of like an, an autobiography or is this more just you telling your story through your disease? Tell everybody. It's an autobiography because um, a majority of it is medical, but I really do cover a lot of personal stuff also. Mm hmm. Because I want people to see that I'm relatable and that, listen, I not only went through all this medical stuff, but I went through a lot of real life shit as well. And if I went through all of this and I can still sit here and smile and be happy and really genuinely enjoy my life, then you have a shot at the same I I wrote the story because, first of all, there were many, many times that growing up, my dad would encourage me that I should really chronicle my, you know, illness, start a journal. He thought it would be therapeutic for me to kind of write about my experiences. And so I did here, you know, little by little. Mm-hmm. Then it was actually my brother and his wife that went to a psychic my brother does not believe in psychics at all and one of the first things she said to him was go home and tell your brother 
that he better get off his ass and start writing. He needs a good kick in the ass because he's wanting to write this book, but he needs to just start. So he came and he told me this whole story about how this psychic had like told him this and he <laughs> couldn't believe it. And that night I started my blog. And within a week I had 17,000 hits on my blog. Holy. And people had so many questions. Everyone wanted to, wanted to know how the story started. When did I get sick? What did I have? Like, I was getting just responses after responses. And I said, you know what? I'm going to start this book. And I just started writing. It took me about three years. And uh, when I started to write, I told myself that I was going all in. I was going to talk about everything and really give people the raw, like, inside of what I had been through. Because I thought that that was the way to really reach people. And I thought that that was the way for my story to have the most powerful impact. Because I knew people would know that I was being real. Like, they would pick up on that energy, you know? Right, right, right. And I think it's important. Because I didn't want to come off as a fraud. Like, here I am and, like, people are doubting me. So, I gave them everything. Wow. Wow. It's pretty incredible, dude. I mean, where where could people find your book? Everywhere? On Amazon and Barnes & Noble online. Amazon and Barnes & Noble. So, um, where does it start? Where does your book start? Where, where do you jump into? It starts Fe- February 23rd, 1990. Okay. That's the, uh, the day that I got sick at home when I was six. Wow. Yeah. And then... It goes in depth. So let's, uh, I want to jump into it a little bit. Um, What is your most favorite chapter of the whole book? Or the one that impacts you the most? I'm sure there's so many. This is a good question. Uh, I would say my favorite chapter is the end. It's the author's note. Because in that segment of the book, you really see me, like, triumph over all my obstacles. Right. And it's just a lot of life lessons, a lot of things that I learned along the way, um, and just, it's a real feel-good chapter, Mm -hmm. you know? Mm Mm-hmm. Because you feel like, you know, there was victory. Right. Everyone loves a good comeback story. Absolutely. Everybody likes that good old Rocky story. Yes, yeah. So what was the, I, I want to know what the craziest chapter, if you said, listen, if you're not going to read my book, I want you to, if you want to get a quick, crazy story, get a quick Kristoff light in the life, what chapter or what page do they open up to? Junkie. Junkie. Yeah. I think that's such a crucial chapter right now. Okay. Because especially in our area, we're going through an epidemic of drug abuse and overdoses and at that point in the book I, that I would say is the chapter that most people will end up reaching out to me like this just got real mm-hmm. because it's a topic I feel like a lot of people dance around and I I shared a lot of embarrassing moments you know really low points of my life and 
I don't know. I just feel like it's a chapter that really grabs people and lets them know just how dark things got for me. Right. And I'm sure, I mean, listen, uh, it's definitely an epidemic right now. Um, I'm, everybody likes to say their town's the worst, their town's the worst. This one's, this town's worse than that town, but I think it's just all around. It's just, Oh yeah. It's just so easy to get your hands on it. Um, kids nowadays are, are looking for any excuse to either get them or the reason why they're taking them. You know what I mean? Uh, times have definitely changed when I was a kid. Uh, you know, marijuana was popular, you know, acid, like the party drugs, but now it's taking drugs to take drugs. You know what I'm saying? Uh, so finding that and being able to understand why you were taking drugs, you know, with all the family things you were going through, the personal issues, the mental issues and, being able to go through that, fight through that, wake up in a hospital with a trach and say, yo, fuck that, you know, it's pretty crazy. It's pretty wild. But there's a lot of people that never make it to that point. You know, it's it's too late for them, Um, which is sad to say. But I feel like an individual for you, dude, you've been through like 10 times more things than any person. I mean, nine lives is, is I think that's a, a crucial statement and a cemented title for you for the rest of your life, you know, because who knows where you would be if you didn't have this disease. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? I think about that all the time. Sometimes I think that in the end, my disease saved my life because I had a lot of wild tendencies and, you know, who knows? Like you said, I, I I went crazy as it was with my limitations and I just don't know what kind of path I would have taken otherwise. Right. Right. What, what would you tell somebody out there that has uh, an, you know, addictive personality or is an addict, you know, coming from where you came from being able to spiral back, because for you, it was crazy because, you know, you had this this disease, right? But it wasn't keeping you from partying and having fun. And then you had your episode in Miami and you wake up, right? But then it's almost like, yeah, now I'm clean, but I'm getting worse with my disease. So it's like, is it good? Is it bad? You know, like you're always battling a double-ended sword. I would say don't be afraid to get help. If you're thinking about getting help, just don't overthink it. Just make the move and get the help. There were so many times that I said to myself, tomorrow I'm going to quit. Monday I'm going to quit. And you just keep putting it off. Or I kept thinking that rehab meant this stigma attached to my name that forever I was going to be known as Kristoff, the kid that went to rehab. Just get help. If it's even a thought in your brain to, like, change your life and get help, do it. And there were so many times that I was thinking about, like, oh, man, life would just be so much better if I could numb all these emotions. But the truth is that when you're in that cycle of addiction, it just makes everything that much worse. Everything, if you're sad, you're going to be so much sadder. If you're anxious, you're going to be five times more anxious if you're on drugs. I realized that the best option was getting clean because 
then my mind was stronger and my mind was clean. And uh, I have to say, as weak as my body is, I'm just so grateful for my mind to be strong and in place of peace. Like that, I wouldn't trade for anything. Right, right. And how was that development and uh, to go through and get clean? How, how was that on you? It was rough. Rough physically, emotionally, mentally. And I think that's another reason why people don't want to get help. Because it's scary to go through that. I was having psychotic episodes. I was having sweats. Panic attacks. Nauseous, vomiting, headaches. All of it. For like, we're talking three or four weeks. Mm-hmm. Um, did you go to rehab or you did it all on your own? I was in in the hospital. Oh, okay. So it was like a combination of like inpatient rehab while also trying to treat my other issues. And uh, I wanted so bad to get high that I was like faking symptoms, saying I had pain when I didn't. The doctors knew what I was up to, but I was desperate. Right. I was going through it. So how long have you been clean? Um, nine years. Oh, wow. July. Nine years. July. It'll be 10 years next July. Congratulations. Thank man. you. That's fucking Thank awesome. you. It's something I'm very proud of. Yeah. 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 Well, there's a, you know, everybody says, you know, it's getting clean is obviously the hard part. You go through the shakes. I mean, we've all seen movies or known somebody that's been clean. I think getting over that, what is it, two or three year hump is really where you can always relapse, right? And um, the biggest part I feel, uh, in my personal opinion, and, and you can stop me, um, is when people tend to relapse is because they go back to the same area, hang out with the same friends, keep going back to the same uh, lifestyle. You know, even though they said they're clean, I mean, once you dabble in it once, you know, it's the temptation is there at your fingertips. You know what I'm saying? And, uh, I can personally say I've lost friends that have been clean multiple times and ended up going back to the same area, hanging out with the same people, doing the same things. We're clean for a year, two years, and then right back to it. Um, and, and now that they're fighting themselves again, now it's like, oh, I'll do it once and I'll be, I just needed my quick fix. You know what I'm saying? So um, you getting through all that and now 10 years do you ever look back and go, man, like life's been fucking crazy? <laughs> Almost every day. And I can't, I totally agree. So many of the friends that I had when I was getting high, I don't talk to those people anymore. And what's funny is, is that when I was getting high, I thought I was so popular. And I only now realized that it was because I had drugs around me right and of course everybody wanted to chill everyone wanted to come over um and just get high together and it's funny because when i was in the hospital one of the doctors told me you have to get rid of all of your friends and that was such a scary thought because i'm like what are you talking about get rid of all my friends what are, who am i gonna hang out with and it was the truest statement uh, none of those people that I used to party with do I even associate with or see anymore. I mean, if it is, it's in passing on social media, and 
Right. That's really it. Yeah, unfortunately, you can't. Or, you you know, like you said, people will think, oh, what's one time? You know, I go back and they do the dose that they thought they could still handle and that's it. They're not waking up the next day. Right, lights out. Yeah, it's wild, man. It's wild. So let me ask you, man. I, I mean, in uh, 10 years clean, you know, you've been dealing ups and downs since you were six years old. What do you think, you know, keeps you motivated and keeps you going? My family, uh, a thousand percent. Especially now that we have little ones around. That purity and innocence and joy that they bring me is unlike any other. You know, the love that you feel, you, you want to keep going for them. You want to keep going for your family around you. Those times that I have with my family, like dinners or any kind of get-togethers, it's just there's so much love in the room that I just I want to be around for more of that. Mm-hmm. And uh, so it's worth to keep pushing uh, to be there for those experiences, those memories. Right. Even my friends, I'm telling you, I, so much of it is being surrounded by such good people. You know, like Crystal, I'm sure you can attest. She's just somebody that makes me happy. I, there are days that after dialysis, I am in the worst mood. And she'll FaceTime me and call me, and I just can't help but smile. Right. You know, and that's so vital to, like, just feeling good. Yeah. 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 That, and now I feel like in sharing my story and seeing the impact that it's having on other people, I really do feel like I have like a responsibility to keep going. Because mm-hmm. I feel like so many people now are looking to me for strength or like a, a reason or motivation to keep going. And so I feel now that's my purpose to just show up every day and, you know, be that for people to let them know that, listen, I, I'm here to remind you that you got this. Right. Right. And that's, bro, that's so admirable. You know what I mean? I, I, and I Thank think, you. I think that's super, super special. I think you're a special, special dude. Um, and yeah, I mean, Crystal does light up a room when she walks <laughs> in, you know? And she destroys it. And she destroys it. <laughs> but I, I, I remember, uh, I think it was like the first or the second, or maybe the second time that she was coming to play with me at Beach Bar. And I told her, I was like, yeah, listen, I don't know you too well and you don't know me too well, but, um, we're getting to know each other, uh, through business and working. And I see the people you surround yourself with and, you know, I just want to say, man, I love being around positive, happy, you know, enjoying life to the fullest people. And, uh, you know, I, I told her that and she was like, yo, thank you so much. You know, and I'm like, yeah, I really I, I try to surround myself with people that I want to be associated with, people that want to be associated with me, you know, all about living their life, being positive, forgetting the drama, forgetting about what's going on in politics and all that stuff. And I feel like you're all about that. Definitely. And if even if people have difference of opinion, it doesn't mean we can't like have a conversation and right. still enjoy each other. I think there's just way too much segregation of different groups. And, you know, we should all be able to have transparent, authentic conversations 
and respect each other's opinions. That you know, at the end of the day, it's it's important, like you said, to ignore all that stuff sometimes and just be happy, be positive together. Mm-hmm. So, so once you break us down, what's like an everyday life for Kristoff? On dialysis and off dialysis. How about that? All right. Um, Monday, Wednesday, Friday, I get up about 8. I go through my routine of, like, brushing my teeth, washing my face, like, grooming, all that stuff Mike helps me with. Then I'll have some breakfast. I leave for dialysis. I get there. I meet a respiratory therapist. He sets up my ventilator because I go on the machine to have dialysis i'm there like i said from 10 to about 2 30 now depending which is like 85 percent of the time i feel awful i come home i get in bed i relax for a little bit sometimes somebody will come over sometimes i just play ps4 and that's a like a monday wednesday friday for me uh, <laughs> red dead redemption uh, uh <laughs> fifa uh tomb raider uh god of war yeah the list goes on we got jay cotton in the building yeah so. yeah um sometimes lately i've had a lot of weddings a lot of friday weddings yeah you were just at a wedding with fat joe i just saw yeah. <laughs> i'll be at another wedding this friday um so, you know, it depends. And if it is on a dialysis day, I just, I do what I got to do to make it work. Sometimes I'm just putting on a brave face and I actually feel like crap the whole time I'm there. And I just can't wait to get back into bed. Right. Uh, Tuesday, Thursdays, I have therapy in the mornings. I usually use those days to like run errands. I'll get a fresh cut, manicure, pedicure, eyebrows. <laughs> Go to the mall, um, dentist appointments, doctor's appointments, anything I can because like Monday, Wednesday, Friday is just shot. Um, so I'll do that Tuesdays, Thursdays. And then like in the evening, I'll meet up with friends, go out to dinner. Um, at night is when I do like all my writing, blog stuff, video editing, because that's when I find like peace and I feel like everyone's off. Of right. social media it's nice and quiet and i can really like focus on my thoughts right so most of like my work and stuff i do late night i'm a night owl okay and then weekends weekends are booked <laughs> you know i just we got parties we got brunch we got baby showers we got oh it's just like you just lighten up rooms yeah all over, just try huh? and catch me friday to sunday <laughs> Listen, I'm booked, but you know I can fit you in if you're. And your boy Mike just rolls with you everywhere. Oh you go. yeah, now he loves it. Like that man has told me, it's very different working for somebody who is you know of the older generation mm -hmm. that tends to watch game show networks all day. It's a little different to be on a rooftop bar in the city. <laughs> um, and he's calling his wife and being like, honey, I swear I'm working. Yeah. And then he's got people twerking on him. <laughs> <laughs> so do you ever find time to um, 
you know, to be by yourself, like out somewhere and say, Hey Mike, yo, drop me off at this lake or park and just let me be and just, you know, take your life into consideration and just think about everything that's going on. Yes. Yeah, very often. And it's one of the best feelings in the world. I love being by the water. And like I said, there's so many things that I used to take for granted, like just sitting in a park and feeling the breeze and listening to the sound of the birds. Like I know it sounds corny, but when you get to be in a position like mine, that stuff really, it hits different. Mm -hmm. I'm telling you. Uh, So yeah, if I know I'm in a safe space and he's never too far, I really do like to just sit and kind of like, take in the moment right but like for real for real you know really think about things and just be grateful right be grateful for all of it you know being able to be out there breathe and just really just enjoy right right now does mike live here with you or is he yeah he moved in um about five months ago okay he lives downstairs and um yeah, it it works well. Right. It's hard to spend that much time with somebody. It's 24-7, so we have our share of, you know, disagreements. But uh, he really, he's a great guy. Right. He cares. Like, he does the job with his heart. And uh, that that's important in, like, this kind of field. Yeah, for sure. I mean... Uh I mean, you hear stories all the time of, you know, age just clocking in and doing whatever and, and, you know, whatever. I mean, we could talk about all kinds of crazy stories here. You know, uh, I know my grandfather has a a full-time aide and he still drives and walks and whatever. But, you know, after my grandmother passed, it was just time to bring somebody in there. God forbid he fell or whatnot. And, you know, we've been through our share of, of AIDS. And uh, I have a friend of a very close friend of mine, Dave, whose father had a stroke years ago. And, you know, he's been bedridden. He's in a wheelchair, no vocabulary, no nothing. But he has a full time aide. And they used to tell me all kinds of AIDS stories. And they were just telling me one yesterday, the woman was passed out in the bathroom, you know, because they found her taking drugs or whatnot. And having somebody here like Mike, who, you know, wants to be here he wants to help you you guys have a relationship it's almost like your long lost brother that you never had you know what i'm saying that and and being able to get acclimated and and be around your friends you know and be all right with that you know like i walked in he's like i remember you man you know like he doesn't have to be like that he could have just opened the door and kept walking you know um i think that's super special and i feel like that's a a a unique part uh, of this whole thing of the whole one man, three hearts, you know? Yeah. I've gone through my share of AIDS and it was tough to find, you know, a really good fit. And when I started with Mike, I told him, listen, I'm looking for us to build a long lasting relationship where you can fully trust me. I can trust you because you know, that's what I want is to have somebody 10, 15 years that, is my right-hand man and I can really, really depend on, mm-hmm. you know? But it's good because, you know, when I do have moments of panic or I'm in a situation I don't feel comfortable, he's there to kind of be that for me, be that source of, like, listen, I got you, and instill strength and confidence and be like, no matter what, 
you're you're okay with me. And I feel that with him. That's awesome. Have you guys ever had like a crazy episode or an event that, you know, Mike's had to step up and be like, I got you? Yeah, there was um an incident when I was out and I just started to feel like very claustrophobic. And I had a panic attack and my breathing started to get really bad. And he got me to my machine like within minutes because I always travel with it. It's either in the car or like somewhere nearby. Right. And, you know, it's a complex machine, but he had it set up and ready to go in like minutes. Wow. And ever since then, I was like, all right, this guy, he knows what he's doing. That's my dude. What what, what were you guys out in a club? Yeah. 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 Yep. (laughs) So if you guys don't know, I mean, I said it earlier, but I met Christoph. At Beach Bar. And if nobody out there knows what Beach Bar is, Beach Bar is one of the most electrifying places in all of Asbury Park uh, during the day. You know, it gets wild. There's what I love about Beach Bar, and I've said it on the podcast before, it's the only place I play out uh, uh, regularly. And what I love about Beach Bar is one of those places that is a complete judgment-free zone. No matter whether you're white, you're black, you're Asian, you're Jewish, you're you're Catholic, you're you're green, you're yellow, you're straight, you're gay, you're bisexual, you're confused, you don't know. You go there and everyone has fun with everyone. I mean, the music that is played, it, I feel like, yes, it's the music that's played and the vibe that is created, but I really genuinely feel, I think it's just... The love and the energy in that room is just so contagious. Absolutely. You know, and it's just that place. It's, I tell people about that place. I talk about this place. I hype this place up, and there's still people out there that don't know it, but they just see Instagram and they're like, bro, where are you? Like, what is that place that's going on? That zoo. And it's more than just a party. It's, everyone's having fun with everyone if you are an open-minded human being and nothing gets under your skin you don't mind seeing a dude in a banana hammock or two chicks making out in a corner or whatever it is that place everyone has fun with everyone and the last two weeks there the uh the last two weeks the last night i played the week before that is when chris and i really had a conversation we partied we drank we were doing our thing and that was the most incredible afternoons ever in, in life, period. Because, man, as crazy as this world is, there's so much hate. There's so much craziness going out there. People are killing each other. There's girls going missing. Uh, they're trying to impeach Donald Trump. They don't know what the hell. You know, there's so much crazy. And for a place like this where these people aren't supposed to get along, these people aren't supposed to be around each other, you know, these people uh, aren't in the same groups. You know, they do different jobs. And everybody gets along. Dude, you know, I've been there for two years. I've never seen one fight. I've never seen one fight in that it. place. I believe it. People go there with the energy of like, it's like you feel like you know everybody. Right. You really do. Everyone is just there for good vibes and to have a good time. Yeah. That and the music, I'm telling you, yeah, it's something magical that happens there. I get people once in a while like come up to me and go, Frank, you know, uh, and I'm not hyping myself up at all. I'm just saying like you have to 
witness it. You have to be in it to experience what we're talking about here. Like I get people that are like, I have a, a two couples that come all the way from Staten Island and they're like, Frank, yo, I come when you're here. I come because we know we're going to have a good time. Yeah. It's okay to hype yourself up yeah. because you're part of that equation. I, I'm <laughs> telling you, I saw it firsthand. Yeah. It was, you were doing your thing, man. Bro, old, young, at 21, 61, it doesn't matter, man. Yeah. Everybody has a good time. Man. Everybody. Dude, and seeing you just vibe, and, and you drink too, right? You yeah, drink, yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. My, uh, my liquid intake is limited because of dialysis. Right. But uh, vodka shots. Vodka shots. <laughs> they do the trick. Right. right. So uh, uh, you so you have, you know, uh, 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 a nightlife. You you go out. You yeah, do your thing. Yeah, you're at yeah. weddings. I see you with your Louis Vuitton scarf. Yeah. Your Gucci shoes, cuz. I see what you're doing yeah. out here. Um, so what's that like for you? You're like, I'm sure you look forward to those. Oh, yeah. I really, really do. Especially if it's a day that I'm feeling good, I've, I'm ready to rock. Right. Um, and it's cool because I still feel independent because Mike will, like, get me ready. He'll drive me over there, drop me off. As long as I'm with, like, friends that I feel comfortable with. Uh, and then I'll just I'll be out with them. Uh, do my thing and then we come back here and uh yeah everything is it's always good to be out among people like whose company you can enjoy you get some laughs some good conversation and dancing of course right 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 so um my 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 next big question is so you have this disease you wrote this book uh is there a second book that's going to come out yes um, I just started writing the sequel because I was very focused on writing my children's book. That is a story about a little boy that gets a heart because I wanted transplant to be relatable for young children. Mm -hmm. I can't imagine. I was 16 and I didn't know how to process the news. There are children as, as young as months old that are getting transplants. And so I kind of wanted to create a story so that kids could kind of start to make sense of what was happening to them. So now that that is almost completed, I just found an illustrator that I want to work with who's going to put together the pictures for my picture book. But the sequel is in the works, and I really feel like it's time for people to get and update what in what's happened in the last four years. Mm -hmm. I think that's dope, man. Is that is that coming out? You know, within the year. Uh, I would say within two because within two. okay, it's one of those things that it takes a lot of time because I just want it to be done well, and if anything, I kind of want it to be better than the first book. Right, right. You know, fair enough. Now, with your disease, what are the, you know, what what are you looking at in, I guess, the next 10 years? Or, you know, how, do, how does this? It's hard to say. All I know is that the prognosis is that my muscles will continually to gradually get weaker. Okay. I feel like, knock on wood, I'm at a point now where I've been stable for quite some time. I'm in therapy, like I said, Tuesdays and Thursdays. I have a lot of therapy that I go through. So if anything, I'm just trying to maintain that. Mm -hmm. um, 
I used to try and like think, where am I going to be in the 10 years in that sense? And now I'm kind of trying to just go day by day. Gotcha. Although in like other aspects uh, for 10 years, I would like to see myself much more successful. I hope to have like a motivational speaking tour one day where I can go out there and just really connect to like large masses of people. Right. Um, that would be my dream to just kind of go out and speak to people on a, on a level where we could just all connect together. Absolutely. Uh, but yeah, I try not to get caught up in where the disease goes and just, just kind of ride the wave. Right. Right. You know, I feel like that's the best way to go about it. I mean, it, you can only look ahead so far because yeah. even if, even if you you say, "Oh, I want to," uh, you know, my disease is gonna whatever have me here, and it doesn't. You know what I'm saying? It yeah, taking it day by day and and enjoying every minute of the day and the week and the year as much as possible is definitely hands down the most important part. Um, being a motivational speaker, I can definitely see it. You definitely have a story for it. You're not shy. Um, so I can definitely see that, you know, having that. I mean, I see you're, def you're super active on uh, social media. You think that's like one of your outlets that has helped you tremendously with this whole process? Yes, for sure. Because, again, the response has been so overwhelming in terms of how many people appreciate one, my story for what it is, and how many people have been helped by my story. There are some messages, man. I mean, there was one girl that really was going through a tough time, a very dark period, and she wanted to commit suicide and said that she came across my page the day she was planning to do it. And since then has had a whole different outlook on life. You read something like that and you, you're brought to tears. You, I, I couldn't believe that me, like I, I mean, listen, I, I think I'm the shit, but, <laughs> but to really, really wrap my head around, like the fact that I could have saved somebody's life is such a big deal. And you're just like, wow. I mean, could I really be that person to impact people like that? Or somebody that's like, listen, my mom's in the hospital with blood cancer and we watch your videos together every day. You're just like, wow, I've, these people are really touched by me. And that will keep you going. Right, right. Yeah, well, social media, man, it's, it's so huge right now and it's so... It's so crazy how many people literally watch or or you impact without even realizing it, you know, especially when you have a huge platform, you know, and with you, I mean, your pictures that you see, it's, you know, you in a wheelchair. All right. How'd you get there? And everybody ultimately thinks that you were there from the from the jump, you know, which is a crazy story. And then you find out like, oh, no, he was a regular, you know, everyday guy. And then this happened. You know, and I personally thought you were in a wheelchair way longer. I didn't know it was, you know, only two years. Um, so I think that's that's super special, dude. And if, if you keep rolling with this, man, I mean, why the hell not? You know what I mean? 
Maybe one day instead of a book, you got a movie coming out or something. Yeah. I actually recently just started toying with the idea of doing a documentary. Uh-huh. Because video editing is uh, one of my favorite hobbies. And I have such like a creative sense about me. Um, I, w- I would love to give it a crack. like, And really, you know, kind of give people an insight into my real daily routine in my life like for what it is right because even in that sense now for because a lot has happened like i said since the book came out and i i don't know i don't think people really really understand just how much goes into like me being who i am right right i mean and i want them to see because i feel like it makes the story that much more powerful well, I think it's also going to open up and enlighten people, you know, and be like the smallest little things. I hope know? so. I would I would love that. Uh, I mean, there's there's windows of opportunity everywhere, bro. You know what I mean? So I, I cannot not seeing something bigger come out of this for sure. Uh, plus, it'll keep you busy. <laughs> Which is so key. Staying busy is really, it's another thing that has helped me a lot. Right. Because uh, sometimes being alone with your thoughts is one of the scariest places. Right. You know. How was, uh, you know, growing up, so you, you lived this normal lifestyle. I'm sure you had girlfriends growing up and stuff like that. How is adjusting to all that now since, you know, your, I guess, quote unquote, love life? Uh, you know, do you date? Do you talk to guys or girls or? Yes. And. It's funny because I feel like the misconception is that if you're disabled or handicapped, that that stops. Right. Couldn't be further from the truth. Um, I would say that the hardest part was when I was going through my own like insecurities and being self-conscious. But once I got over that and got to a level of self-acceptance and self-love and loving me for who I was... That radiated and people picked up on that. Right. And people saw beyond my disability. And once I conquered that, um, yeah, it was on. (laughs) It was on. Uh, And there was a special somebody that came into my life and just kind of reminded me of my worth. Right. And uh, essentially made me feel like a king. And... uh, that just radiated from there and i feel like people fall in love with you for your spirit you know they fall in love with you for what's inside everything else is secondary um and me i believe on personal connection and like really really connecting with someone on a deeper level and so yeah i'm definitely active in the dating scene and I got a lot of love to get. <laughs> so so do you use apps or are you out here just picking them up at beach bar or whatever these night uh, I mean for me I've tried the dating app thing it's never really worked out. Okay. I'm more of like a personal connection like coming across people and Right. And whether there's chemistry or a spark or not. You know. Uh, I've I've had the quite quite a roller coaster of a life, so uh, 
kind of hard to keep my attention. Right, right. You know, I need like some spark, some interest. Right, right. I like to have fun. I like to just always keep me on my toes. Right. Fair enough, man. Fair enough, dude. So listen, um, we're going to wrap this up in a minute, but uh, what is like the, the biggest thing you want everybody to know about Kristoff and, uh, you know, your, your, I guess, quote unquote statement for life out there? Don't take any moment for granted. I would say that there is just so much in life that is meant to be appreciated. The people around you don't take those moments for granted. It goes by so fast. And I think it's important to, you know, let your loved ones know how much you love them, how much you care about them, and just everything that you're able to do. Take advantage of your life. Take advantage of the things that you can do. And just really fight through everything. Even if you're depressed, anxious, you're sad, you can pick yourself up and you can get through it. You just have to find that strength inside of you. I really do believe we all have it. And that's it, you know? Live life. Live it to the fullest. And dance every chance you get. (laughs) So let me ask you this, my last uh, big question. What was the... um you know, going through this whole part, how old are you now? 36. You're 36. So 30 years going through all this stuff. What was the biggest thing you feared or you still fear till this day? You know, for me, it was the fear of not being around. There was just so much that I wanted to be around for. And each milestone that I'm able to witness I'm so, so grateful for. I've gotten to see my, both my brother and my sister get married. Um, still waiting for the little one to get married. <laughs> I've gotten to see my nieces and nephews born. Uh, you know, I've been around for countless celebrations. My fear was missing out on all that stuff. Right. And uh, I'm lucky to say that I've seen a lot, and I have so much more to see. That's awesome. Oh, well, thank you so much for... Oh, my God, thank you. Thank you. This is is something super special. I'm so thankful for you letting us in your home and letting us in your life and telling us your story. Uh, I'm so happy that I met you and that you're a genuine, awesome, all-around, incredible individual. Uh, I would like to call you my friend you know absolutely the feelings mutual and um so everybody out there i just want you if you're not already following christoph on instagram at one man underscore three hearts also he's got his book one man three hearts nine lives all right check him out um barnes and nobles online and amazon all right he also has you get you got a website you got a clothing line and stuff yes yeah www.onemantreehearts.com Boom. He's got her, sh- hats, shirts. If you guys want to know more of his story, follow him on IG. Go to his website. Buy his book. Uh, he's also still looking for a kidney. Anybody out there that neg- that O negative? That O negative. Yes. You know? Um, he's also, uh, this book 
is an autobiography. He's got some incredible stories uh, about him, his trials and tribulations with drugs, uh, finding you know a perfect donor and that falling through. Um, once again, man, thank you so much for for bringing us out here. Uh, I hope you guys enjoyed this one. It's so glad. I'm so glad to be back on the podcast world. Jay Cott in the back, making sure everything, the fo- holding the fort down, making sure everything's cool. The apples are good. Yeah, the apples yeah. are good. <laughs> Everybody in the IG live, man. Thank you for tuning in. Um, we're going to post this up, man. Share, like, comment, tell a friend, tell two, man, and make sure you guys are always smiling, staying positive and being happy out there. We'll see you guys next time. Christoph, we love you, bro. Love you too, bro. Talk to you later. Peace. You are now tuned in to Frankie and the four F's. Come on. The only podcast giving you the latest news on famous people fighting females and fear. It's Frankie in the four F's. Frankie in the four F's. Frankie in the four F's. You're never gonna forget. Never forget. Frankie in the